Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Clayton, and we are men who like men who like movies. We are two queer men who love movies and love talking about movies. And after a lot of urging, we started a podcast. What did you pick up out for us to watch this week, Sean? Oh, it's that time of year. Um, I we we spent the last couple of weeks kind of going away from our, our our usual horror haunts, and I decided it was time to come back, especially in time for Yule. Um, and so we are watching this. It's, I think it's a little bit well-known film from, and it's a uh, considered one of the godfathers of slashers. From 1974, Black Christmas, one of the most influential horror films ever made. Yeah, it is. We have a little help this week. We have a special guest, Terry Menard, Rotten Tomato approved critic, creator and editor-in-chief of Gaily Dreadful, co-host of the wonderful Scarred for Life podcast. Nice to have you, Terry. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk about this uh, very unknown movie. <laughs> no one's ever yeah. seen this i I've, I've never even heard of it before the, no i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah no one's ever heard of it so uh why did you pick this one what's your relationship to this uh so i i remember hearing about this movie uh in like the 90s when i was a teenager and everyone's like was talking about how like oh it's the most scariest movie ever and it wasn't readily available where i was and then i can't remember exactly when the dvd first came out but there was like a bare bones dvd that came out i think late 90s early 2000s and i remember sitting down and watching it and being like okay well that was that was a movie and not really being <laughs> moved by it but i was like 19 20 probably at the time mm-hmm. and then uh a few years later i reapproached it and i'm just like oh i see what this movie is doing and every time I've watched it, I just fall in love with it more. In fact, I'm going to see it for the first time in a movie theater in a couple of weeks. <gasps> oh, oh, jealous. So jealous. So jealous. I'm legitimately jealous. Sorry. Just a little bit. I'm lime green jello. <laughs> yeah, I was really I excited did. when the Alamo just said that they were going to play it. I was like, hell yeah, I will be there. Oh, oh, you have Alamos out there? We do. Uh now i'm really jealous uh i miss them so much i used to live in colorado um and i moved back towards indiana last year uh and i remember i would see so many movies at alamo mm-hmm. uh, i miss that <laughs> i have a hard time seeing them at other places now because of the ambiance that alamo creates in their theater Oh, it's just so good. It just feels like you're in a place where everyone is there to enjoy the movie. Yeah. Like, and it, it's just it like everyone there is there to see it. They're going to have fun. Like, it's not like even if it's like a little raucous, it's because everyone's actually excited to watch it. But the minute the movie's on, it's quiet. Yep. Or and it's just I, it, I've never had better experiences at a movie theater i also i saw it's finally coming out on 4k in a few days i think um oh i think shop factories already came out all right it's pretty close yeah i just saw one that was i think it's december 6th or 4th or something oh it might be the shop factory one i i've been in my uh my cart for a couple minutes now (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, I want to get it because this is I watch it every Christmas and every single time it just gets better. Uh, the first time I saw it, I was not that impressed. And I also was probably about 19 or 20. And the older I get, I'm just like, man, this influence so much and so genuinely scary. And I think I just identify a little bit more with Marco Kidder every time I see it. Insane. <laughs> uh, which might not be a good thing, but it makes it more relatable. <laughs> Are you kidding? It's totally a good thing. <laughs> She's a queen. She really is. Bisexual queen. Oh, yeah. I do love her so much. And she's a uh, tragic figure. Like, so it's just all of it is just great about her. We love her. Yes. Yes, <laughs> we do. I myself, I saw this movie when I was 14, I want to say. Um, it was when I remember. No, I was probably about 15 because I think I was, I was in high school. And I had a couple of friends who were older and we did like one Halloween. It wasn't even, I don't even think it was Halloween. It's just around Halloween time. We were like, let's watch just like classic scary movies. So we watched this one. I remember I was like, oh, that was pretty good. Then we watched Nightmare on Elm Street. And all I can remember from Nightmare on Elm Street is everyone was just thought that the mom looked like a shoe. And that is <laughs> what I, I take from that night. But I remember liking this movie. And then once I finally got like once I finally got to rewatch it and I think just fell in love and I it's one you fall in love with every time. Just a little bit more relationship for life. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think uh, what, I, what I think what I, what I like about it is I think the more you have like a language for film and an understanding of film, the more appreciation you can get from just how perfect of a movie this is. It really is. And it really, you're not even wrong. Like, it's just so well done. Everything from, you know, costuming to just the entire feel of the movie. It feels like it's so close to perfect, if not perfect. Like, there's not a lot you can say wrong with it, in my opinion. Wow. Same. I have one thing I would tweak about it. One. But it doesn't take away from the movie for me. And you guys might have an answer for this. Maybe I just didn't notice it. Did the cat get killed? No, uh, I don't think so. I don't think so either. It just seemed to be missing. And then for a while, you know, it was meowing and stuff. But then for like the latter half of the movie, it wasn't. And I'm just like, oh, did he kill the cat? Oh, I always took it as once he was able to like the cat was able to get into the attic with Billy. Like then it just kind of like roamed wherever it wanted to True. for a minute there. So I, I don't have, <laughs> did have food. Yeah. So <laughs> deep dark. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't think the cat got killed. I think you hear him meowing, and I think at one point, I think even Billy meows a little bit. But I think it. I don't think the cat died. Billy makes lots of noises. <clears throat> he does. Sure does. I was gonna say so, and then yeah. We're, Gosh, I'm just so excited with covering this because I do love this movie a lot. And I think it's it's one of the best horror movies ever. And I know that's said about a lot of movies, but I really think this is one of them. And I think this one gets underlooked a lot of times from general audiences. Horror heads know that this movie is amazing, but a lot of people probably wouldn't even know that it really exists. They're like, yeah, Halloween was the first one to do this. And it's like, mm. Having rewatched Halloween recently... I just, 
I look at this movie and I'm like, this movie's doing everything Halloween wants, but better. <laughs> it really does. It really does. And like, I, and I love, I love Halloween too, as well. But like this one, it just every element of it kind of comes together. Whereas in Halloween, there are some things that are like, eh. like, but I think the vibe of this one just feels so much more threatening and so much more scary than yeah. Halloween. I mean, since we already dropped the better than Halloween thing, I also enjoy this movie better than Halloween. So do you guys want to get into this? And there will be spoilers for this 48-year-old film. Um, But yeah, so this movie is a directed by Bob Clark, who people might also know from his other very well-known Christmas movie, A Christmas Story, um, and written by A. Roy Moore. Also, the original title was Stop Me. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, which I'm very glad they changed this to Black Christmas because I think it works so much better. But I do, I think that's an interesting choice. Um, it was shot in Toronto in the winter of 1973 <laughs> to 1974. As so many films are. <laughs> I was going to say, thank you, Canada, for all the tax breaks. We do appreciate it, and it yes. makes still. We all think America looks like Toronto. <laughs> um and it's a very much a who's who of cast it's a lot of uh, like people you've seen before but you may not necessarily may not necessarily recognize their names um we've got olivia hussey playing our hello Hello? (laughs) (laughs) i love her voice i love her so much of this playing jess bradford our proto one of our prototypical final girls you may Uh, recognize her from your high school english class watching romeo and juliet (laughs) yes or you might recognize her from it which i had watched recently and i was like oh hey you're oh my god yeah that was jess (laughs) the one with the blank look on the bicycle Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, she was caught in the deadlight, so we have to we have to give her a break on that one. Um, and then we have Kier. Is it? I can't. I can never remember if it's Delay or Delia. Um, but he's plays Peter. He's from 2001: A Space Odyssey and other things. I'm pretty sure I saw him with a mustache once. I don't remember what movie it was though. Um. Andrea Martin plays Phil, and people probably you might recognize her a little bit more from my Big Fat Greek Wedding. She she's the one that gets the 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 bubopsy, yes, bubopsy. <laughs> or from the, the remake of this Black Xmas. I love because, Black Xmas because so many people saw that. I also am kind of fond of it. Anyway, it's it's so bad. It's good. Um, you've got. Uh, John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller, our lead cop, and people might recognize John Saxon as the dad from Nightmare on Elm Street. And we have Lynn Griffin as Claire, Marion Wallman as Mrs. Mack, the house father, James Edmond as Mr. Harrison, who, every time I watch this, I think he gets slightly more prudish every time. Uh, Art Hindle as Chris, and the MVP of the movie, Margot Kidder as Barb. Who Honestly. likes it? And she definitely has barbs. <laughs> she she is an oratorical firework. That is what she is. Yeah, she's <laughs> fantastic. They gave her all the best stuff in this movie. <laughs> she is the best part of this movie. Yeah, and like 
even when like when you must be reading this script i wonder if they were just like like she was reading it she was just like oh this is great like i mean because just this just all of her dialogue is fantastic and it must be have been so much fun to play definitely so terry you might know this what had margot kidder done before this because obviously after this she got big from superman but she doesn't seem you know like oh ingenue margot kidder she seems like somebody that would have had to have been known that's the vibe i get from her in this well the big thing that she was known for i think before this was a couple years earlier in sisters by brian de palma Mm, oh, I yes. missed that one. Um, but other than that, I think she me. was in a lot of TV. Uh, so she was just experienced, but not necessarily a huge thing. Yeah, I think the big, the biggest thing was Sisters. So uh, by the time I saw it, for sure, it was, <laughs> I'm just like, hey, Superman. Yeah, it was um, <laughs> Yeah, and it was just really funny seeing those very different characters. <laughs> I always love when people are in like squeaky queen family prop squeaky clean family properties and then also stuff like this where they just get the most amazing lines and you know you just don't hear cunt often enough in movies anymore yeah (laughs) it's called acting Clayton. it's called (laughs) acting i was gonna say it's the same thing that with susan sarandon she did rocky horror picture show and then she had whatever else she did in the 80s you know like old durham and all those okay you become a major star and this and then they you know you look back and you're just like yep that was the start of it she was amazing in bull durham that's a fantastic movie i've not seen it in a million years so i can't really stand by that um but at the time i saw it i thought it was fantastic in the height of cinema <laughs> i don't think i've ever but seen it it's a classic i don't really remember much about it i just remember it's... thinking wow that was amazing it's a baseball movie, so I mean, if you're not a big, big sport, like it doesn't, ha- you don't have to be super into sports for it. I was but like, like, I am not into sports at it is, all. It is very much like sports based. <laughs> I just thought it was a really cool acting. Like I watched it for the great performances. I don't really remember the storyline of it. I should watch yeah. it again. I've always wanted to. Uh, you were t- saying Art Hindle and. Uh, who did you say he was? Because that's the name that I recognize the most, aside from Olivia Hussey and Margot Kidder. And uh, so Art, Art Hindle was Claire's boyfriend, the guy playing hockey. Oh, the, the one with the wonderful coat. The one with the wonderful yeah. coat. <laughs> yeah, the coat. Um, I that coat so I do, too. I was like, oh, I want that so bad. Okay. Um, crap out of that one. Oh, yes. I, I mean, it's probably what? real fur, but... <laughs> yeah. You know what? Yeah. If it's vintage it's at this point... No, I know fur is bad. Um, but yeah, you'd probably recognize him. He is actually very um, known in the horror community. He has worked with David Cronenberg. He worked with him on The Brood. And then uh, Inv- Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1978 version. Oh, uh, that's what I went from. He plays uh, the boyfriend. I think there was a movie called Porky's, but I don't think I've ever seen that. <laughs> oh, I I didn't see Porky's either. I was yeah, the American. Yeah, I was the American Pie generation, not Porky's, and I just didn't go back to it because I didn't care about boobs that much. <laughs> <laughs> same <laughs> i was gonna say it. oh come on when they pop up in a horror movie sometimes it's just fun 
just to it see is. the bounce. Just to see the bounce. Okay, I mean, yeah, fair. <laughs> but yeah um invasion of body snatchers is one of my favorite movies of all time so and then i am a sucker for cronenberg so i he's really good in brood too and then he kind of i don't remember seeing as much anything after that but you know at least he's he's been in some classics horror royalty at this point it's a good uh part of the royal family to be in if you're gonna be in one in horror royalty. <laughs> Fuck no, they killed Diana. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, I'm assuming you saw Silent Night because you probably did a write-up. Silent Night? Camille Griffin with Kira Knightley. Oh, yes. Yes, I did. I was like, which uh, one is this? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so, Clayton quotes that all the time. So, anytime the fact I'm that gonna, I got it. Anytime <laughs> I'm going to say fuck no. I always add they killed Diana because of the line when uh, they're talking in the hallway. And um, oh, I, I'm sick. Like I told Lucy you, Punch. So Lucy Punch and um, uh, Annabelle Wallace are talking. And Annabelle Wallace is like, do you trust the... She's just like, fuck no, they killed Diana. <laughs> <laughs> I forget about it. I, 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 I feel bad in saying I forget about this movie because I did talk with the director, but uh, yeah, I, I forgot about that movie until just now. And it's like, oh yeah, that movie is kind of messed up. It's so messed up. I love it. I didn't talk to her, but she tweeted at me later because I put it in one of my favorite films of the year. I did really like it. She's very because sweet. Because I really like messed up stuff, so really tracks for me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely part of your journey. Yeah. <laughs> and your purview. But yeah, that's basically it. that's cast. Um, I mean, the it was originally developed as you know, kind of a kind of based on the babysitter and the man upstairs, which is something that comes into play a lot towards the end of this with the with all the calls, and you know, like some of the lines in this will be recycled in another minor horror classic. I, I don't know; it's hard to describe what a stranger calls on it. I. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't consider it that. <laughs> I well, I mean, I would definitely consider it part of a, a horror classic. It, it does well. Okay, I have to. I have a caveat on that. I have not seen the original. <gasps> Why do you? You see how sometimes he just hurts me. <laughs> the original is so but good. I, I hated the remake. Oh, the remake is crap. Oh. The, I hated so the, it so much, and just everything about it, like literally hated it so much. I never even wanted to go see the original. Yeah, don't judge a rem- original by its remake. I usually don't, <laughs> but I just i I think that's the remake that I've hated the worst, and I just I don't know. Is it the Camilla Festival? Yes, it is. <laughs> No, sorry, Camilla Bell. If you ever listen to this, we do we do like you. You're that that movie just gives you nothing to do. <laughs> um, but no, uh, when a stranger calls is so good. Um, it's, it's one of the greatest openings of any okay. horror movie ever. I will take um, you guys' word. I will watch it this week while I'm laying sick in bed. <laughs> it's also really good when a stranger calls back. Oh. I've actually never seen the sequel so that one i can't say anything on but i 
seen the original. So, all right, we both have homework, Clayton. We're gonna, <laughs> and then we'll tweet at you, Terry, and be like, "Hey, just to let you know, <laughs> this is how we feel." <laughs> I take back what I said on air. When a stranger calls, it's actually good. Hottest take of the year. Yeah, that that's like that's like watching the fog with Tom Welling and being all like, "Man, the original must suck because this one was just awful." Like, no, that's not how that goes. Because the fog with Tom Welling is also very, very bad. The problem with the remake is that it takes the first act and makes it the entire movie. That's the problem with uh, when a stranger calls remake. Is that why it felt like it was three hours long? Yes. <laughs> yeah, because the yeah, it basically I, takes the entire opening scene and makes it opening scene and makes it a full movie. I will say I do work. have some, I do have one nice thing to say about that movie. It is wonderful house porn. Oh yeah, the house porn is on is on point for sure. And isn't Katie Cassidy in that? Is that Katie Cassidy? I can't remember. Is Katie Cassidy your friend? I don't remember. Oh, I, I have... remember Katie Cassidy because I have this really weird love of her, even though she picks really terrible projects. But yeah, I she always, is. She's in that. I always really like her though. So, but I still am not going to watch that remake again ever. Tessa Thompson. Tessa, Tessa Thompson was acting back then. Yeah. Oh yeah, she was yeah. in Veronica Mars. This is why I always try and tell you to watch Veronica Mars because Veronica Mars is one of the greatest TV shows ever. I do not have time to watch another TV show. I. Don't well, the cool thing about this one is it's already done, so you're not like scheduling it out. You just watch an right, episode when you're just watching stuff. <laughs> when I have time to watch a free episode, I'm probably going to watch something of Buffy or of the 18 series that I feel like I need to watch. Um, I haven't even gotten to see the Tricky finale yet. And For that shame. has been my appointment television this fall. Like, appointment <laughs> television. When it airs, I watch it, and I didn't do that for the finale and still haven't gotten No spoilers, please, Terry, because I feel like you've been watching it and seen it. Um, I actually have fallen off of it because it's been a really busy few months, so I am not caught up on the new season, unfortunately. Oh, okay. That makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> have you seen Veronica Mars, though? Because that, that, that's important. <laughs> I don't. <gasps> okay that hurt me a little bit uh, okay well this podcast was fun um <laughs> thank you for listening uh no i'm just kidding uh, gets really upset if you don't like what he likes. you don't have to like it i no it's okay it's it's okay veronica mars is one of the things that like i love veronica mars it's i it came out at the perfect time for me like it's influenced who i am like just the amount of snark for it so like when i hear people don't like it it's okay i promise i'm not gonna yell at you the only one i'll yell at is clayton because he'll say stuff just to make me mad um (laughs) (laughs) and then i'm just like and then i'm like what the heck was that and he's like well i just he's like "Eh, i knew you wouldn't like what i said and i was like no (laughs) no everyone's allowed an opinion um but yeah i i love veronica mars so yeah that hurt a little bit but that's okay that's okay i'll I'll spread the dislike i also don't like buffy (gasps) (laughs) that's okay too (laughs) i'm gonna say that with gritted teeth though in case you can't hear it no (laughs) is there reasoning if you don't mind me asking like i know we're talking about black christmas i i mean to be fair i've 
I I've only seen like part of the first season and I just could not get into it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, um, season one is hard. I just hate when people have, or TV shows are like, look, it's really good by season three, and it's like, who has that kind of time? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I understand because, like, even Buffy, its first season is not amazing. I have a very soft spot for it myself personally because I just love the series that much. But if I was just going into it, that would be rough to get through. I have no idea about Veronica Mars because I refuse to try it because it just makes Shanta mad. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, that was a little bit of production. Um, what do you say we jump into the real meat of things? Um, Please. <laughs> where we start off with this the creepiest Christmas carol I think I've ever heard on film. We also start off with some POV shots, which um, I mean, if we're going to talk about influential to the horror community. Yeah. This is influential. Absolutely. This is the one that is uh, stolen for Halloween. Yeah. I'm just going to say it. No, and it you're not even wrong. It's absolutely the truth. Like, you know that John Carpenter saw it was like, whew, that's cool. <laughs> and I think it is done to better effect in Black Christmas than in Halloween. Absolutely. The breathing. Oh, the breathing. Like, that's the one. That one, I like just listening to the like the heavy breathing. I'm like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I'm a big dude. So like, I mean, not, sometimes I can breathe a little heavy. But nope, this is just like, it is creepy breathing heavy. <laughs> the motor's back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we are on this beautiful sorority house, and we are just kind of following, you know, our POV shots are following around the house, and we get to one of the greatest sweaters I've ever seen in my life, and I want that sweater so bad. And it is the one Olivia has been Oh, Nice. I, I, every once in a while, everyone will like post something towards Christmas and I'm like, I need to go buy that sweater. And then I forget. And then it, I, it'll pop up the next year. And I'm like, why do I not have this sweater yet? <laughs> I would say I'd buy you one for Christmas, but I am very broke. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to America. Um, yes. <laughs> Honestly, I, pretty much all of the costuming in this I would wear. I mean, I really want this coat. I want this fur coat. I don't care. It's fur. I just want it. But I thought it was so Beautiful. funny when you were tweeting about that because I was just like, <laughs> just, just watching it. And I was just like, oh, I want that so bad. I don't even care that it's fur. But I'm like, you can get that, at, you know, vintage. And, you know, it's already made. You know, destroy it. That looks so warm. Like, ugh. Yeah, every time it looks so cozy, <laughs> and it seems really out of place on him too. I think that's why it stands out a little bit. It's so high fashion. Yeah, it uh, really is. Oh, it's just so great. I just think it's funny. The girls are all in just you know regular coats and stuff, and just layers, and then there's him in this giant fur coat. <laughs> it it reminds me of Diana Riggs in. Uh... On Her Majesty's Secret Service when she's in that, like, giant fur coat that's just, like, the size of her. <laughs> also a wonderful coat. <laughs> or anything that <laughs> Doris Day ever wore in her 60s rom-coms. I, I was going to say, was not expecting that... Doris Day. 
I know it sounds like we're pro fur, but we're really not. But those coats just look really cozy, and it's really cold out now, and my coat is not cutting it. <laughs> Great. I was wearing a carpet. Um, you know, if that carpet was <laughs> comfy, I would not be opposed to be wearing a carpet when it is 15 degrees below wind chill. True yeah. facts. <laughs> but yes, so we're introduced to our sorority sisters and we get our first phone call after we meet well you kind of see who everybody is barb barb gets her her phone call before our our main phone calls and you know you kind of see like she's a little put upon isn't she like kind of made her a little bit tragic in my opinion and i don't think i've ever like i've, I've noticed it but i don't think i ever really listened to her conversation with it and I felt a little sad for Barb. Yeah, I think you can kind of see sort of the situation she's dealing with at home with her mom with this one brief moment. And it's something that always it always sticks out at me. And I just mm. I, I love the little small moments like this that the movie allows the characters to have. And so when she's like arguing with her mom, you know, that she's saying she's not drunk. And then she's like, well, why can't I come? And who the hell is he? Like you just it tells you all you need to know about her her home life. And then, of course, you get the fantastic slur you're a real gold-plated whore <laughs> yes yes she knows how to cut you down and i mean you know your family situation's got to be um wonderful for you to say that to your mother <laughs> but yeah i do like that they give little moments to everybody that really tells you who they are that they're not big moments but they're enough yeah well i mean but i always find big moments sometimes in films to be a little bit too fake like you're just like, oh, this this thing happens that's never happened to anyone ever, and this is how the person deals with it. And now we know they're either a nice person or a bad person. And I like the quiet moments because, I mean, that's exactly what this does. Is like you said, it's a quiet moment to learn a little bit more about who they are as people. And like Barbara's, in my opinion, a tragic figure in this because she is. She has, you know, she's kind of the put upon storyline like she's her barbs part lack of a better term um come from a place of hurt and i think that's so important to just like understanding who she is she's not just she's not just some mean girl she's not a she's not you know she's not regina george just to be awful like she's coming from a place of hurt and i that makes her all the more tragic and it's a defense mechanism for her. You can tell right from this little interchange that that she puts on this hard shell because she needs to protect herself. I just wonder what made her so hurt that she delivered the line, you can't rape a townie. <sighs> yeah, I that know. was a little... Yeah. I'm like, even in the 70s, was that something you would just... And it's almost like she said it to hurt somebody in the group. But I never did get the, but like even their reaction and everything was just like, oh, well, are you just I trying to be the biggest bitch in the room or something? I think it was a little bit of both. Um, also, Claire, the, our, the, the goody girl, essentially, the one who's mm. like, hey, you shouldn't do it. She's dating Chris and Chris is a townie. So wow. he lives in town. He's from town. So I think it's kind of a, it, like it's kind of a dig against all of it, but it's also kind of elitist at the same time because you're in a lot of college towns or like smaller college towns I've seen, 
or at least I've seen in movies. I can't say for sure, but you always get the like, oh, it's the townies versus like the college kids or something like that. And it feels a little. Sean, we know you're just talking about Crywolf. It's okay. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Why? Why would you bring that one up? Oh, I know why you brought that up. Julian Morris, I know. (laughs) Julian Morris is very cute, and I quite like Wendy Booth. I need to, but not enough to bring up Crywolf. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, did you see Crywolf, Terry? Uh, a long time ago. I don't remember much about it. <laughs> yeah, it's basically just like townie, like townies versus like college kids, or it felt like it for a second. But yeah, that's a. It just feels like there's an elitist kind of attitude with Barb. She also seems like she's kind of well, the rich bitch. <laughs> You know, I mean, they're her. in a sorority. They're all rich. Those things cost money. I would not know. I was not. Didn't I was gonna say I wasn't. I didn't go to college myself, so I know you said you rushed a fraternity, didn't you? I was and then I was like, "This is expensive. This is too much time." And I was like, "No thanks." But they were all lovely. I'm still friends with a decent amount of them. <laughs> I wasn't a music frat. That was about it. Oh, that sounds epic. <laughs> <laughs> What was it called? Uh, Find Me Alpha. Ooh, good name. My favorite is just obviously from Sorority Road. Theta <laughs> Pi, after, so No, not Theta Pi, but the after party. <laughs> At Rose Sigma New. Yeah. <laughs> See you there. <laughs> MVP of that movie, not really. But anyway. Back to Black Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that was a tangent that went places. Um, but yeah, it, I do think that's kind of an elitist attitude on her part. But like you said, I think she, everything's coming from a place of hurt, and she's very much uh, her barbs come from come from pain. Barbs, barbs. Yeah, Real <laughs> clever, very clever. <laughs> I said it like fourteen times, but I was, you know, yeah. I just need to make sure I got that joke out there again. <laughs> yeah, make it a drinking game. Yeah, you know, this is a sorority house, not a convent. So, I mean, right. just say. Um, but yeah, how about we get into some of these phone calls? Like, I think these are some of the most obscene phone calls I've ever heard in a movie. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the like, most terrifying uh, obscene phone calls I think I've ever heard. She yeah, is I, very blasé about it, though. She's like, man, in this city, I get like two days a day. <laughs> yeah, but like, how much of it is just like a front so she doesn't? Well, I know. Feels I mean, and I mean, they they progressively get worse, but like this one is very much like they just these are some of the most obscene phone calls I've ever seen in a movie. Like it's very like the things that are said. Like also, um, if Billy was not a crazy murderer, um, then they would definitely make a really good ventriloquist. I think Uh, just with the uh, throwing around of voices. Or, you know, having a 1-900 number. <laughs> Not about a 100 number. But then, I guess that works. <laughs> uh, tongue in the West. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I, I can't think of another movie where, like, the phone calls are this obscene. I mean, except for, you know, maybe when a stranger calls. But that one's more creepy than it is obscene. I can't add to that because we all know how I haven't seen it. But these are really, really gross. I am impressed that they had not gone to the police sooner 
or they even let him stay on the phone that long. There's a lot going on in college, and you don't have time to just sit however many times a day and listen to a 10-minute really nasty phone call. Well, I also think it was kind of a different time for it, though, because that was when people would, like, the phone was how you communicated with people. Like, now we have text messages, we have email. <laughs> on phones, on phones. <laughs> well, I, but I mean, like, if your parents are calling, like, you can't just, like, text them. You can't just call them back sometimes. Like, you have this. these are, like, days of calling collect or calling wherever. And I mean, it, it. you're very much, like, when you wanted to get in contact with someone, you were around the phone. So the phone ringing was, like, generally a bigger deal than it is now. Wouldn't you hang up? Easily the worst uh, obscene phone calls uh, in movies. I, I, it takes me back every time I watch this and I get to the very first one where he's dropping the C word and he's, like, talking about licking things. And it's just, it's, uh, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it is like, a lot. What, five, ten minutes into the movie and this and is, I've like, our this... first introduction. I've seen this so many times and every single time it like reshots me, mm-hmm. which is kind of impressive to do. I'm not easily shocked about things. Normally I would funny and I do find it a little bit funny um, just because it's almost to the point of like exorcist level of funny, but it's just dark enough that it's just like, oh, this is horrifying. And I would not want to get that phone call if I lived in a giant house that people were in and out of all day. And, ooh, it's just scary. Yeah, the fact that they never locked the doors, like, maybe it's because I'm <laughs> from a city area. But I'm just like, I lock every door <laughs> behind me. Like, if I'm going to, even if I'm just, like, going outside to check my mail, I will lock my door. And I know it's crazy, but, like, it's just who I am. And so, like, the fact that they literally are like, how many of our doors and windows are unlocked? And I'm like, all of them. You guys are crazy. I mean, it was a different time in the 70s. <laughs> People left their doors unlocked more. I wouldn't say that's a version to call someone crazy on leaving their doors locked or unlocked. That's a very <laughs> subjective um, thing on where you live. And, you know, some people like to live on the wild side a little bit. And it would be hard to keep things locked up in... I mean, what kind of school do we think this is? Is it a big school, a small school? Uh, I never get the idea of the size of it. Yeah, I don't know. I always took it as a small school. Like, it seems like everybody kind of knows each other. Like, even the when, uh, when the dad is, like, waiting for Claire... Um, and he's like, Hey, he's like my daughter, Claire Harrison. And the guy like has to think about it a second, but he know he's like, Oh yeah, I think I know who she is. She's, she, no, she's part of the sorority. Like her friends are here. Like they're helping out with our, our sister, our, they're our sister sorority. So I always felt like it's kind of a small school. Like maybe there's only like one or two sorority houses slash fraternity houses. I don't know. It felt, it felt a little smaller for me, like a smaller town. It also feels very cold. I think this, and um, you already know what I'm going to bring up. <laughs> December, or Jan- February. The Black Coat's Daughter, as it eventually became known, I think are two of the coldest movies. Whenever I watch them, I get physically cold. And it's just fun to watch in the winter under a lot of blankets. Or a vintage fur coat if you have one. <laughs> I will say I love our kind of introduction to Olivia Hussey's character. 
when she's on the phone with her boyfriend, you know, trying to tell him something important. And he's like, I love you. And she says, I know. <laughs> it's such a telling line because it really uh-huh. sets up the conflict here because mm-hmm. you can tell that Jess is definitely not into this relationship as much as Peter is or that he expects her to be. And this is just sort of like the opening kind of salvo to what is at the heart of this movie. And I do like that it has a lot of depth to these characters in this type of slasher that at the time, you know, <laughs> term, but nobody would have been like, oh, this is elevated. They would have just like, yeah, slasher. And that they put this type of depth into the characters, which I'm sure we will get into. Well, uh, you were saying like how this it's kind of in a slasher film, but like this really is one of the earliest, if not the or the only one I can really think of is like a straight precursor to like what is considered a class, the classic slasher genre. Like this one sets up a lot of the, the, the tropes and, you know, different ideas that are used down from like killer POV shots to, to just even the, the structure of the story. And I think that we're like the fact that, this movie is so well done and the characters are so well defined. And then you kind of traipse off after this, you know, we, we start getting your Friday the 13th, which I love. That's not a dig at him, but like, there's no character development. Like, you know, you're not watching it for like, by the end of this movie, I don't want anyone to die. And that's, that's impressive for a slasher. Usually you're watching it. You're like, okay, well, you know, a, B, C, D, E, F, and G are dead, you know, and then we're trying to, we finally have our final girl, and that's the one you you're so, you want to care for. And then this one, like, I like every character. I like them all, and I'm sad by the end of it that that they're dead. Yeah, it's I, I always find it, it's, it's okay, so slasher is such an interesting subgenre of horror, because like, it's really kind of messy to determine where it originated from, because you could go back to Psycho, and you could see some of the the uh, setups that, that would continue to be like in, in slashers, but then also the Italian Giallo films. Giallo. Yeah, from like the 60s and early 70s, influenced a whole lot of them. Um, I mean, Friday, Friday 13th, you know, straight up stole a kill from Mario Bava, so uh, it just... It, it it's really difficult to kind of see the trajectory. But what I love about this movie is that before Halloween, it is setting up a lot of the kind of North American tropes in, in slashers, but then it's also yes. doing things that I think other slashers ignore. For instance, Jess as a final girl, she's sexually active. She's not, she's not the, uh, the Laurie Strode, the sort of, uh, virginal, virginal type character that, I think a lot of people, when they think of slashers, go back to the thinking of in terms of the final girl. And she's not. She's sexually active. She's pregnant at this start of this movie. Like, it's I just think it's it's so fascinating that that trope became so popular. And this is the movie that sort of established what North Americans think of of as slashers. Right. And it's also funny because she doesn't like, you know, as far as, you know, final girls go, she doesn't she defeat the killer or anything. And. It's just, she dies at this in this that's your take I, like oh yeah we'll get to that i'm sure but <laughs> yes. and sean and i had a small discussion like off i was like the ending of this and we went totally different directions on it and yeah anyway 
Yeah. Yeah. No, and I completely agree with you. And well, and I think in a lot of ways, like the idea of the virginal final girl, like especially by Carol Clover, like that originates more from Laurie Strode, which, and I don't think it should. Like I, everyone always talks about how great of a final girl Laurie Strode is. And I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I like the character of Laurie Strode, but I don't find her like the ultimate final girl. Like I like, you know, like uh, the idea of a woman who's only like the fact that her, like she, her, her virtue is signified by her virginity. I don't, I don't find it fascinating. Like I, I, I just think it's a slight cop out and kind of a, like a moral tale kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and the only yeah. thing, the only thing I find fascinating about the final the virginal quality is like why was that a thing for horror like uh, the person that survives has to be the virginal final girl is just such a weird thing mostly you know an american thing i just think it's weird it's really weird like the survivor has to be a girl who doesn't sin well but that didn't that wasn't as much of a, a trope until like after this movie though because well, a lot I know. of films, I'm talking about just the North American final girl slash like that's just how it was for a really long time, and I think it's super weird. Well, I always took it as like, or, or I, I always see it as like when you're watching these movies, like the virginal final girl is usually one of the most put upon characters in the movie. Like she's usually kind of a little bit like she's the quiet one. Like she is usually timid and you know she's not confident of herself and then by the end she's seen everyone she loved dies and has to arm herself usually with something phallic thank you and all of this i've gotten from carol clover by the way um and you know like she has to essentially rise to the occasion and in order to defeat him and her virtue is what is the only thing that saves her essentially i just think it's icky and weird i just think it's a i mean it's a trope so i mean it's just something like even now we're going into we're going into what's considered and i hate the term elevated horror but like we're going into the more like there are big like finger quotation marks around this but like elevated horror is making like a huge it is becoming like a big thing everything from hereditary to midsummer to to <laughs> it follows it follows the way it's one of those right yeah, yes exactly um and i mean those are all movies that i think like and like i said i don't like the term elevated horror but that's those are the tropes of now like where you're taking a more cerebral stance on horror as opposed to more of a like the trashy fun of the 80s or and and not to say that every film is like that but it, it feels like those are more big hotter to get items i feel like horror has always had a cerebral qualities if you knew where to look it does and that's what i'm saying and you can still find fun trashy horror malignant came out <laughs> like it's it, like the thing is it's like it's what tropes that are popular at the time those tend to be the more popular movies that we know and i always feel like whatever is whatever's popular at the time sometimes those will influence not only the like how movies are made after it but like our ideas of like in terms of film eras so terry not to get stuck on this but i'm just curious you know how film 
tends to be kind of influenced with what's going on in the politics of things and especially horror is where you know we work shit out <laughs> mm-hmm. and so this movie came out in the 70s which yeah. you know i wasn't there but was known for being much more, you know, free love, hippies, and a very sexually liberated time. Not, Halloween wasn't until, what, 1980? Uh, you know, 79, was, 78, somewhere in there? Oh, right at the end. But, you know, so that is what started, you know, the big virginal final that carried on forever. So it just is odd to me that in horror, that is usually more of a, you know, transgressive place to play around in storytelling that the final girl trope would have even happened in the first place in that environment and time period, which it doesn't really in this one, because again, you know, she starts out pregnant and wants to get an abortion, but that's not the type of character that carried on. No, for but decades. I, I also, I think it's important uh talking about the the political landscape that roe v wade was just a decision a year prior to this movie coming out and so you have this movie that is coming out a year after um abortion rights were legalized in united states and so i i I think that this movie is definitely tackling some of the uh i would say some of the fears at that time and and kind of exploring the idea of uh women having the ability for bodily autonomy because a lot of and I, I figure we'll probably talk about this a lot more as we dig further in but a lot of the male characters in this are very ineffective or they're very juvenile uh, very. and so we have like we have all these different men male characters that are failing the women and also want to have uh, kind of autonomy over their bodies whether it's mr harrison and his freaking out over the fact that maybe his daughter uh, Claire was sexually active or it was, you know, the police officers or it's Peter. Like all of these characters feel like they have some, they, I think they feel entitled to women's bodies, but the movie is kind of pushing back on that and showing how fallible uh, men are really. Yeah. Men suck. They do. I wish Ugh. I was attracted to them. I know. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, not to go back to it, but I also feel like in a lot of ways, it sometimes, especially like in the slasher genre, like they're very much morality tales. And I, you know, like, especially at this point where, like you said, kind of like the hippie movement, Roe v. Wade, a lot of other movies would make it where like, Jess wasn't a virginal, was virginal and, you know, was the quiet one and she would be kind of the Claire, like, and then, I, I mean, if, if this wasn't, if this would have been made in the eighties, you, I, you kind of, I kind of feel like Claire would have been your final girl. She's kind of the sweet one. Like, Oh, you shouldn't have done that. Blah, 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 blah. And it's always kind of a tell for like the climate, like, like you said, political climate you're in. And at this point, I mean, we are in free love, but a lot of like, the older generations are terrified of that. Like they're just too open too too much. And I find that, you know, like having a sexually liberated, uh, intelligent woman at the front of it and have her like, and having the abortion storyline, like I think it's so, it, it, it just makes this movie so much better because it, it's not afraid to make her a real person 
as opposed to just so cute. Do you think Claire is virginal? <laughs> Claire, she has naked pictures in her room. Well, no, but I mean, like in a lot of ways, like she is portrayed much more quiet, and like she's like you shouldn't have provoked them, like you know, like oh she barely drank at all, like and I mean she like you only see her with one drink. She's not like sloshed out of her mind. I'm not saying she is. I, it, it's kind of like, you know, in Cabin in the Woods when they're all like virgin and she, she's like, we work with what we've got. Like, in, in, in a lesser movie, they would make Claire be like, this, you know, like, she's, she doesn't have fun. She doesn't do anything. She's just there to, she's just there kind of thing and make her, you know, more of a, the final girl archetype. Which wasn't even really a thing yet. But. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm saying that's why I'm saying if this movie was made in the 80s, you, we would probably have a different final girl. And I think that's what makes this movie even more important. I will say, though, as a first kill, Claire is amazing. Oh, every time I see that that sequence, it uh, it, it makes me tense. Like every single time I know that the man is in the closet, I know that we're going to be able to see him. I know that she's going to get it wrapped around her face. But like the entire time, it's just... There's so much tension and, and Bob Clark is incredibly good at eking out that that little bit of tension, that little bit of nugget, and then finally just throwing the, the bag over your face. It's it's intense. It's so effective. And to be honestly, I mean, aside from the obscene phone calls, it's not a very um graphic movie or anything. The kills aren't graphic, it's not there's not nudity and stuff. It's mainly just the language would probably be the only reason for the r rating i don't know about you know at the time it might have been more extreme but it's still very scary i think even i don't put long reviews and stuff on letterbox but when i rewatched this the other day i was just like damn i forgot how scary this was yeah and uh, yeah, and I don't really get scared that much by things. And this is a movie I've seen however many times, but it's like I, I always forget that it's very scary and very effective. And just uh, like even just thinking about her, like get you know packing, and him just standing there breathing behind the clothes, and you can see through the plastic, and it just uh, I'm getting like goosebumps on my arms. Very well done. Yeah, and then seeing her body up in the the attic every every now and then with mm-hmm. the bag still around her face is just like it's haunting is it's going on downstairs and no one knows that there is a dead body of poor claire and the and the camera movement likes to play with that where the camera will be situated outside or you know there'll be moments where you just like it's almost like begging people to see the dead girl in the mm-hmm. in the attic and no one does uh jumping ahead what frustrates me in it like literally as the credits are starting you still see her stuck in that chair up there. The police have gone through this house. No people have been murdered. And still people are missing. And nobody checked the attic? No one checked the <laughs> attic. It's failure of men again. Oh. Well, and I mean, they they actually bring it up because they're all like, should we check the attic in the basement? And they say, no, the state lab boys are coming. They'll come then. And they'll go through it. So it's kind of like, eh the inefficiency <laughs> you know like you would think if people are missing you would i check the attic check the basement yeah, not wait for the state lab boys since i already jumped there and we're talking about you know how the men are just shit they sedate her leave her in her bed but they take the elderly father to the hospital he needs looked at they leave her there 
<laughs> they just take everybody else and like leave a cop outside and that's that it's like you don't think this girl needs taken to the hospital like okay if you're not gonna check the house whatever but i feel like she needs to be at a hospital just as much as this old man does it's just frustrating it's scary and uh, leaves me frustrated but in a good way yeah that face in the plastic though it is really iconic mm. well that's why it's the cover of the new uh shop factory 4k shout out to shop factory <laughs> Yes, you did just get a big delivery from them. <laughs> yeah, I definitely bought for Shoptober. <laughs> um, and they are ones we are going to cover eventually. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just, I really do think you're absolutely right, Terry. Like, the tension of this movie is so palpable, it's unbelievable. Like, every time, like, every time you watch it, like, you get, I, I think my shoulders square up just a little bit. Because it's just, you know, like, and I've seen this movie X amount of times now, and you still just kind of, like, every time I know what's coming, and I still don't expect it. Yeah, same. But we might just have really bad memories. <laughs> but I don't think that's it. I think it's just very, very well done, well directed, well acted. The economy of it is just amazing. He's able to do so much with so little. Like, you never even see the killer. And yeah, usually I mean, that's aside the, from, like, some eye shots. Yeah. I mean, just some eye acting. Yeah, there's some eye acting, and then, you know, a little bit revealed, possibly through dialogue that you hear, that they go way too much into into the remake, which is part of the ridiculous fun of it, in my opinion. <laughs> well, one thing about this movie is, like, I always forget, like, is how much of it is at, do you think is actually supposed to be comedy, as opposed to what is just, like, situationally funny i i i don't know i this time i watched it and usually i get some chuckles but there were a lot of things i was just like okay that's really funny i was like was that meant to be funny (laughs) i think Um, if there's anything in it that is funny it is meant to be because like the a lot of the stuff with barb while it is tinged with you know the sadness of like her situation and whatnot there's a lot of really funny shit in this and i think this movie needs comedy to offset how bleak it is because it really is a bleak horror movie i don't know I, how you guys feel about that but no i'd agree with you and i think that the i think the mrs mac stuff is is some of the funnier stuff too <laughs> yeah mrs mac is great uh barb is really funny uh just i i mean the her at the police station with the fellatio it's the new exchange <laughs> number like it really funny uh, Mrs. Max storing alcohol all over the uh, the house, trying to get away from the damn kids is is amusing. Even though you know, I think you could probably look at her and say she's an alcoholic. But yes, <laughs> there's some. Uh, there, it's just it's a fu- funny moment where she's like getting toilet booze and you know just so annoyed with these kids, which I can't blame her. At the end right. of the too. Yeah. <laughs> I just love when when the dad when Claire's dad comes to the house and she's like. She's like, where are you? To the cat. And she's like, you little prick. And then he's just like walking up the stairs and she just like slowly looks over and she's like, it really is very nice of you to tell. (laughs) Or when she's trying to cover the peace find of the two people having sex. I know. She's just like reaching awkward. Like you can still tell totally what it is, but she's trying, which I think is very endearing of her. 
Like, she's still trying to look out for her girls, and... I think it's a little bit of both, isn't it? So she's looking out for her girls, but she's also, like, looking out for herself, so she's not, like, you know, chastised for, like, why are you letting them drink and do this stuff? Yeah, God forbid up a poster in their room. I... <laughs> I love in the background when um, Barb is, like, giving the kid just straight shots pretty much. Oh, that great split-diopter shot. <laughs> yeah. Harrison in the front. Yes. Yeah. I think the little bugger schnockered, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, I was, like, schnockered. I'm using that forever from now on. Every time I hear it, and then I'll forget. But I'll use it again next year for a week or two. <laughs> I so rarely get to use it in a sentence. <laughs> Thank you, Kill Bill. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, she, I definitely think there's a lot of comedy to this, and I think it's some of it. I wonder how much of it is like intentionally funny, like, and also I like like the little callback where you're looking at Mrs. Max stuff, and it's all like her and her sister were vaudeville acts, and then that essentially plays towards when Barb is like. This vaudeville act of 1891, when she's coming in for the first time with all the presents. I just wonder what you're... Th- I'm really curious what comedy you think is unintentional. I don't know. It's just... Uh, some of it, it feels like it's a little bit, uh, like, off for me. And I think it might be just the situations they're in, or maybe I was reading it wrong. And like I said, I I usually watch this only towards Christmas, which is bad of me. But... I you know, just some of the stuff with mainly Mrs. Mac, and then there's I'll be honest with you, I didn't write down the other end from what I was thinking. I think so because I think every single bit of this movie is very intentional. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he, he is mostly known for directing comedies, so I I think that I think the comedy part is intentional in it. And Mrs. Mac, she almost seems like a version of a character, you know, in the 60s that would be like housekeeper or something. She seems um, almost like a version of that, which would have been very familiar to people at the time, because that what like, you know, Thelma Ritter would have probably played <laughs> a version of that character if this movie had been made 10 years earlier <laughs> and wasn't a mean little horror movie. But I think the comedy is very needed and doesn't take away from the tension. And I don't know. It's funny. You need to laugh every now and then rather than just be like, oh, this is bleak. Although I do really love movies that are just bleak all the way through. Sometimes you need that. Yeah, this isn't a new French extremity, is it? (laughs) I like my new French extremity movies, Sean, and I'm apologizing for it. Wasn't asking you to. I like them too. (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so i mean after we have claire's death you kind of jump to the dad and um i always wonder like dude i feel i feel some sympathy for the dad but he also seems like such a prude like do you think that's more of a well never mind i forgot what i was gonna ask I mean, I think he's another inefficient uh, male character in this movie. Yes. His, his one of his first things that he talks about is disappointed in this atmosphere and I'm going to do something about it. Again, he feels he has like autonomy over the way that his daughter is, is acting and it's not up to what he wants. And so he's going to do something about it. And it's, again, that sort of trend that we'll see through Peter and also to an extent, uh, I mean, Billy. 
good old Billy. But I still feel bad for the father. I mean, his daughter is missing and murdered. That's that is sad. Oh, absolutely. But well, and then, and then you nice. never even find out. Like he doesn't even know by the end of it. She's still just missing. Like, and that I that must be even worse not to know where your daughter is. The police department does seem very inept in this film, but I would assume they would find her eventually. So uh, he probably wasn't in the dark for too much longer, a week at most. Like, how long did it take the search party to find the girl in the park? Yeah, Probably an hour or so. Um, Speaking of the search party, that's a, that scene just looks so cold. <laughs> speaking of cold movies... Well, I mean, it was filmed in Canada. I feel like it was probably filmed in winter. It did not look like it was fake movie winter filming. Winter in Canada. It does not seem like a fun place. <laughs> Unless it's a romantic movie. And then it does. It does look very cold, though. I don't know how people do it. I'm just in Indiana, and I'm already not handling the winter well. But yeah, the search party does look very, very cold and so sad. And I accidentally skipped a little bit. Sorry, I jumped ahead. We, after, before the search party, we were actually introduced to Peter. I wanted to, you were talking about the ineptness of a lot of the male characters in this movie, Terry. Um, what do you, what do you think of the character of Peter? I, well, I love this, this scene in which we're introduced to him because it kind of shows the hypo, the, Hippoc- oh my god why can't i speak how much of a hypocrite he is i keep wanting to say hippocratic <laughs> yeah. how much of a hypocrite he is because i will do no harm because <laughs> there's a when, when jess tells him that she's pregnant and we immediately get you know he's really excited god jess that's fantastic and then she follows up with i don't want it and he's like you can't make a decision like that again with the body autonomy but what's funny is that he goes and he says, don't you ever consider anyone other than yourself? And then like a split second later, he tells her, don't you know how important this afternoon is to me? <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, do you not see the irony of that statement right there of what you were telling her that she is doing and then you making this whole thing about you? It's that juxtaposition that just always gets me every time I, I watch it. And it's like a baby you're stuck with versus his piano recital. Right. Oh. <laughs> uh. Well, it, I don't, I don't know, and I completely agree with you. But one of the things is when he does that recital, like there's, th- there's the three like judges or uh, judges, like this is American Idol, um, like the three teachers or people there, like grading him. So I do think this was a big moment for him. So I do like I, I sort of see where he's coming from there, but I do think that she's absolutely in the right. And he, and you're absolutely right. His, he is such a hypocrite in this. He wants her, he doesn't want her to make any decisions that he is going to make them all. And she doesn't have any choice in whatever he says. Like, you're not going to have that abortion. And even she says, she's like, you're not going to tell me what to do. I do really but, like that she stands up to him and isn't a frail, a feminine figure, which would have made sense with the time as well, especially right in that political climate it wasn't a thing she was just like i know what i want to do i know what i'm going to tell him and he's not going to shake me up over this yeah and well kind of going back to 
to him too later on once he you know fails his his um uh, test recital what, recital yeah uh, he's like, I'm going to quit the conservatory. We're getting married. Like, it's just, this is a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. All of this is going to happen. You have no say in it. Why wouldn't you want to marry me? We're just going to get married and that's what's going to happen. And she, she's like, um, no, <laughs> I don't <laughs> want this. I have so many things I want to do. I don't want to be married and tied down and to be a mom with a kid. Like I have things that I, I want to accomplish in my life. And so it's just, I, I always find it fascinating when the two of them are, are having a conversation because it's just, I, I think this is the moment that the, these scenes are the moments where like Bob Clark is really kind of honing in on the more, uh, yes, <laughs> elevated elements of this, of this movie. <laughs> Not gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do think the people are characters are just so well constructed and the economy of it just of dialogue of shots of what they tell you it's just it should i feel like it should be like taught in screenwriting class <laughs> mm-hmm. well and also i i would say that i think the movie does a very good job of trying to lead people down the route of not trusting peter mm-hmm. because there's also yes he comes across as this sort of like controlling personality and the movie wants us to think that maybe he's he's the killer that he's maybe the unhinged person that is murdering everybody but the music also uh supports that because i always i always find it fascinating that the kind of horror jumps in the movie are basically pounding pianos like it's it's scales of like discordant piano playing which Mm -hmm. of course he's a pianist and so it's like even the the score wants us to think this guy's a bad guy this guy is is dangerous and at the end of the day i do think that his kind of character is a dangerous uh, male toxic character so i think oh, yeah i don't know i think there's there's fascinating uh play there did either of you ever really fall in your early viewings of this fall for the fact that oh he might be the killer absolutely yeah i i think he's a it's a very well done setting him up as as apostle threaten it is like you said terry like it's so well done because it, there's very few movies where they have multiple, like, where you get, like, multiple, like, a whodunit. And in this one, while it's less a whodunit, they do set up Peter or as such, just, like, a, a threat. Like, everything he says, everything he does, like, he is clearly a man who's not used to hearing the word no. Yeah. And he's very clearly a man who's used to getting his way and w- wants what he wants when he wants it. and usually gets it and he's for lack of a better word kind of an ass (laughs) like you know like he's he's not listening to anything she say and he's not listening to anything any he's not listening to jess at all and Mm -hmm. it's it paints such a perfect picture of a man who you could clearly see if this if this film was different he could be the killer like he absolutely could be and every time i watch it they put little things in and i'm just like yep it could definitely be Peter. Maybe one of these days I'll get like, you know, like Mandela effect and Peter will be the killer. And I probably would still never see it. <laughs> I, re- I don't want that to ever happen. But, you know, <laughs> I never if it ever were. I never thought it would make sense for him to have been the killer. And then like with the phone calls and everything, I didn't think it made sense for him very much. Like he's a toxic dude, but I never thought he would have been the killer. I think that's 
I don't know. I just think it's interesting how people view things. Yeah, I just more thought he's just a toxic man, but not the killer. I do have a question on that, also jumping ahead. Did she kill him, or did Billy kill him? She killed him. Yeah. You think she killed him? 150%. I thought so, too. I just... It, well... Some things at the end weren't 100% clear, so I... Wonder. Oh, that's one... That's what I definitely thought was clear. I thought that well, while Billy is a creepy and a murderer, I don't think he's an idiot. <laughs> like, he very much knew that something was happening, even if he didn't, he, like, he's clear, clearly heard her conversations on the phone when she was in the hallway before. So, like, he knows the cops are coming. He knows that, like, the cops already know. And so he just kind of goes back into hiding. Like, he goes right back upstairs because he's, he's what he doesn't seem like the kind of killer that he's not a, a Jason Voorhees or a Michael Myers, like where they come out and show you where they're at. He waits and he hides until the po best possible moment. Like he's, he's a planner, which is scarier in my opinion than just having Michael Myers just show up in your house. Like to have someone like hiding in the shadows and waiting for you to come out and make and then make his move when you're completely unawares. I find that scarier. That and so is really I, scary. I, so I find him like I think once he realized like the door's locked, I like I gotta go. Like I'm gonna go hide, and then I'll wait until another moment. And then I think Peter, Peter very much was like legitimately looking for her, and probably like he's been waiting outside, so he heard her screaming. I'm sure, and then you know, ended up, she was so scared, she killed him in what she, she probably thought was self-defense. Or, you know what, He maybe he was, he was getting angry or he was trying to shake her. I could see it, I could see him trying to, like, you know, manhandle her a little bit. And Yeah, we never you know, saw what happened down there. It ends up with his death, unfortunately. Or, yeah. <laughs> I do feel bad for him a little bit in it. Like, and that's one thing, is just because he clearly had like and i know it was very selfish of him to say but he's like oh you know how much the recital means to me like and then he falls apart during his recital and like it just feels like the guy's world is kind of like crashing down at the same time or his idea of his world and i found that was a little bit sad i will argue with you a little bit on that because for a recital and if you want to be great lydia tar one day <laughs> You need to be unflappable. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You need to be able to go out, play your piece, and people don't need to know what your shit's, what's happening. Like, that's on him. He wasn't ready for it. He couldn't hack it. Although, he could have gone down and pissed her and taken it out on her, and that's why she beat him to death with a fire poker. She was really little. I'm kind of impressed she killed him, because he wasn't, like, like a small person. Is a lot bigger than her, and the way she was holding it, I don't know. I know he is definitely awful in the movie, and like I don't, he's not the tragic character that Barb is. Like I think, but I do feel a little bit for him, just a little bit. It's not, it's like a tiny modicum of just like you know, like this man clearly has had a very rough day, <laughs> and it culminates in his death. And as you learn later towards the end, he kind of dies for nothing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I have no sympathy for him. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's okay too. I usually don't either. Like, and it's funny because it wasn't until this viewing that I felt any modicum of like anything for him. Like, usually it was very much like, uh, like you're an asshole. Please get off the screen. <laughs> well, you'll be dead by the end of this. That's okay. And in this one, I was just like, well, I've had like, and maybe it's because I've been having like some rough times at work. Like, where I felt those moments where you're just like, it feels like everything is spinning down around you. And so maybe that was why I was, like, a little bit more sympathetic to him on this one. I like, I still, think, <laughs> I, I still think he's a total asshole, and I don't, like, I don't like him. But, like, I can understand a little bit of his, like, ire or his, his angst. His male entitlement. Yeah, I, I just think he's a petulant child because it's also the yeah. way he handles it. Yes, he fucked up at the at the recital, and yes, it didn't go his way. But what but is then his? He goes and busts up the piano. He destroys the piano, and he's decided I'm done with the conservatory. It's just like it's not it's not a like okay, well I I screwed up. I'm gonna have another chance at this. I need to get it. It's like no, I'm gonna destroy the piano. I'm going to quit the conservatory. You're marrying me, and we're having this baby, and that's what's, <laughs> that's what it is. Like it's just, it's just, it's petulance, and it just I find it so I don't know, little kid. He's a here. musician. He's a musician. He's passionate. So was I. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah, but I, I could, I could see you, uh, you know. <laughs> smashing up the piano oh because you had a bad recital <laughs> no and i get it and even he said he's like i've been living at the in here for eight years so he's a, clearly a grad student like he's clearly older like he might not be a grad student he might have just, just not be good <laughs> yeah <laughs> he takes like the minimum credit hours every every semester <laughs> I've been trying to get this recital done for eight years. Like, this is for you, my friend. Uh, he's really a freshman. <laughs> yes. Um, but speaking of, you know, the people who die in this, uh, what do you guys think of the kills? Who's your favorite kill? Do you have Terry, one? Terry, you go first. Well, Terry seems like he's thinking you go first, Clay. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, I actually have honestly i think the claire kill is just so iconic and scary but i also love the death of margaret kidder it is so it's so fit in there like you're already she's drunk hungover they had just checked on her and then she's just screaming getting brutally murdered while jess is downstairs with the carolers and it's so sad <laughs> I'll pick Claire. I mean, it's just, it's so iconic. And the thought of just being suffocated, I think getting stabbed to death, you would at least have like adrenaline going or something, but. And well, she, she was, and she was still half drunk. So it might not have been as, yeah, Claire was sober and smothered. I'm going to give it to her. I think I, I, the thing is, is that both those two, Claire and Barb both have iconic deaths for various reasons, but. I think in terms of just freaking me out, the idea of being someone in bed, waking up, and all you see is this light on someone's eye, because all we can see is really the the killer's deranged eye as he's holding your probably prized possession of like all these little trinkets, and he's holding this unicorn, and he's stabbing you. That's like, oh, uh, that's pretty fucked up. I, so wouldn't you think it's kind of like a bad scene, though? 
Well, but right. she'd already had it. Like that was the thing is she's you when she like started to fall asleep, and then you can just kind of like go back to it. So I I just feel like it might not have even been a hundred percent real to her, Claire. Like just the thought of somebody coming out of your like you're just packing, doing your thing, and somebody's just watching you from your closet, and then oh, I think it's far scary. <laughs> Kill me in my bed when I'm half asleep, please. <laughs> um, well. I find Barb's a little scary. I think Claire's is absolutely scary. And I think you guys are right. Those are the two best. But for Barb, like, when when Jess goes up and, like, checks on her when she's having her asthma attack, like, she she saw him. Like, she saw him. <laughs> like, she he was in her room. Yeah. Like, so she's not having a bad, like, it's not even just a bad dream. Like, it's what she thinks is a nightmare is actually happening. So she ends up having an asthma attack because of it. So now she can't breathe. She gets to go, but she goes back to sleep and learns that like what she thought was a dream was a nightmare is actually happening. Like that would be awful. And then to be just like, like suffocating is like really high on top of my, I don't want to die by it list, but like to be killed by your own trinket and then only see just like this eye staring at you. And not being strong enough to be able to fight it off, uh, I don't know. It's it's such a hard toss up, but I, I'd have to give this one to Barb a little bit more. But that one's just me. <laughs> well, that's why I don't buy sharp trinkets and keep them above my bed. <laughs> I don't know. I think all the kills are scary. I mean, even the sorority mother. I mean, that's scary as shit. She's just looking for her cat. Can you yeah, imagine how terrifying just... that would be? Climbing out to the attic and then you just like see something and you're like, wait, is that clear? What is going on? Like the the amount of time it would take for your mind to like, yeah, understand what's happening. And she's wasted too. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then she like, and you even see the moment she realizes because she like looks around, mm-hmm. she goes back a little bit, and then she like focuses and realizes exactly, and then like, oh, <laughs> you know, she's she's yeah, it it is an awful one. And there's I so much be. restraint in the kills too, like. You know, I'm a very firm believer. I mean, I do love some really gory shit, but the restraint that they show and what they don't show, <laughs> you know, like her kill could have been super gnarly, but this also was pretty low budget. And, you know, you see it come at her and she just gets dragged out. You know, there's not blood pouring down or anything. You know what happened. And it's just awful. She was just looking for a kitty. I identify with that a lot. It, one of the things I like about it is it's very much like what you don't see is scarier than what you do see. And like another film that does that really well after this one is Jaws. It, <laughs> you you find everything. I, I always find it scarier when it's not like spelled out to me. Uh, the wonderful, perfect storm of your prop not working after you shoot. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I, I always find so funny. <laughs> it's that we think it's one of the greatest movies, one of the greatest movies of all time. And it's like, it's kind of accidental. <laughs> Good job, Steven Spielberg. You know how to, you know how to pivot real well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, uh, one thing I've, uh, one thing I don't think I've ever noticed, and it might be because, because I'm very bad at being on my phone while I watch a movie. Because I need the stimulation. But one thing I don't think I really ever noticed was the scene where both Jess and 
Phil are down are on the phone. It's after Barb. I believe it's after Barb has been has been killed, and she's on the phone. I can't remember. I with I want to say it's Peter. And then this was one of the ones I was like, I it you see the shadows moving behind them, or she might be on the phone with the police. I can't remember who it was exactly. There's a um, lot of calls. Yeah, but the, when they're both sitting down, and you just see shadows moving behind Phil's head. And I was like, oh, I don't think I've ever noticed that before. And that's something I really love about this movie is I think I discover something new about it every time. And I I love a movie that will still surprise me. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background of this movie that I think is very subtle and very uh, creepy when she starts to notice it. Oh, so creepy. I don't I, I was I saw that and I was like, oh, I don't think I've ever noticed that before. Ugh. I don't like that. <laughs> it is so creepy, though so creepy the moment i think is so scary which is a little thing but when she had been having that argument with her boyfriend and you know the one where he makes the wonderful comment about just like having a wart removed and then later when billy says it back to her is just so horrifying like oh he heard that how that would make a person feel Ugh. again chills yeah, I uh, every single time I watch this movie, I'm always I'm always curious about Billy's backstory because it just feels like he gets things stuck in his head and he just keeps repeating them. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I do think that this is a killer that probably killed someone is probably killed Agnes in this house at one point, Agnes being like maybe a sister or something. And so because we have like all these different voices that are just yelling at him like mommy you know where's agnes give mommy the baby and then we have like someone in in more of i think billy's voice saying baby's all right mommy and then you have like the man saying what your mother and i must know is where did you put the baby where did you put agnes billy and so he just repeats all of these things and then it just i i don't think he realizes that time is any different and so he picks up this conversation that he's hearing downstairs and he's just repeating it and i don't know there's something He's just the way that the story kind of unfolds a little bit in his dialogue, but it doesn't really tell you anything is just another reason. I think this movie is so masterful in like not giving you all the information. Yeah. I was going to ask what you guys thought of the way Billy is presented in this, because I think it's so fascinating time and everything with, you know, mental health and stuff. And they don't even really obviously go into it in this, but even just what could be inferred, they don't give you very much information and it's so scary and just that type of like you'd have to have some sort of I mean just to be able to speak in like the, all those voices and a very broken person not just not showing you it's just it's so effective so effective and just like what do you think of Billy as a killer uh I I think Terry you described it perfectly like he's a psychopath one of the things about psychopathy is like you're doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And I think he, like you said, he's reliving, just reliving all of what's, he, he clearly, like like you said, it, it is very heavily implied that he did murder his sister. And or someone. It, it, or someone like, it, like her or somebody. And I, I, he's just, it's so scary because it's not someone you can reason with. Like he's not somebody who's, like he's not an unstoppable killing machine but he's also a hider he's playing hide and seek Mm -hmm. but like the seeking part is you know death (laughs) 
Yeah. I also think he's trying to like recreate his his uh, family life because there's that moment after Claire has been in the rocking chair when he puts the doll like in her lap and just rocks right. it back and forth. So like oh. I think he's trying to like bring go back <laughs> to that that childhood moment and he just I don't know. Oh, it's I had just managed to get that image out of my head. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was another reason why I I kind of considered Claire to be kind of like the I mean, they call her a professional virgin in it, but like she's kind of softer. And I, I felt like he kind of sees her almost like a little sister because at points he does croon like Agnes and like, you know, like you said, he rocks her and all this stuff. So I felt like he saw her like as a little bit more pure than the rest of them, especially considering like her death is very much like technically she's untouched. Like he, yes, he, he strangled her to death, but he doesn't stab her to death. He doesn't use the hook. He doesn't use the, like a, a bladed weapon or a, a sharp weapon like he does on everyone else like her he he just take chokes the life out of her like takes the life out of her and so i always felt he kind of like like preserves her yeah there's, a little there's bit. an idea of like like i it's what i've read on I, like i read a really good article on um film cred and it, this is something i want to go into too and it was like color and costuming and in this movie which i'll get into in a second and it was by jessica scott called <laughs> yep uh called color and costuming in black christmas and she's very she's she brings up like he that sorry i highlighted where it was at there we go um she writes claire seems to represent the pure side of femininity to billy she is the little sister archetype the victim he preserves and displays like his very own baby doll yeah and i think that I think it's scary seeing this is kind of like the dark side of a, of a, of like the killer from, or of like from a vice and men, you know, like Georgie, just people who aren't people who are reliving a dark period in their life and just can't seem to escape it. Or they're trying to re rebuild what they had lost. I just I love know. that the movie has no interest in explaining Billy other than these little hints, like where he's been, how he's back. You know, it's not like, oh, someone escaped from a mental institution that's been locked up that committed these murders here 30 years ago or anything. It doesn't have any of that. It just gives you this tiny little nuggets of information, and that's it. And it's scary. And then what happens when you... Uh... Fill in that backstory, you get uh, Black Xmas. <laughs> Which is admittedly not wonderful, but it is very fun. I I think it is fun. Scary? No. Fun? Yes. I mean... Oh, come on. You didn't like it when they were all like, your brother. And the, <laughs> the Agnes was just like, no, my daddy. It was like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, like that is what i think of when i think of that movie it's just like oh oh okay <laughs> I, I just think of the icicle kill i just think, I think of skin cookies <laughs> skin cookies <laughs> yes <laughs> also that was i i not to get too far into that one but there should have been two final girls of that movie uh that's i'm just gonna add that <laughs> we'll talk about that some other time <laughs> mm, skin cookies they're probably a little really low like low calorie though so 
Yeah, but high fat. <laughs> Depending. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like they'd be. I hate that we're getting into this, but I feel like they'd be chewy and not like. <laughs> they look like they were kind of burnt. <laughs> Billy's not a good cook, okay? <laughs> Billy is somewhat good at, gill- at killing. Um cooking not so much and i love how they took the whole eye thing of just like showing his eye and this one and in black christmas xmas is like eating eyeballs <laughs> <laughs> be so gross it is yeah. it is it is gross those mid early 2000s remakes they uh, had a lot of things in common and gross was one of them <laughs> oh yeah uh, probably why I'm so jaded. When I was a teenager and like really watching a lot of horror movies, and like, yeah, I want to watch like the nastiest, most gnarly shit, and then I watched all that. And so, and now that I am a very mature man in his thirties, I appreciate things like the original Black Christmas much more, and find it far more scary than just showing me something nasty. You already mentioned you think Just dies. I also mm-hmm. think Jess dies, and Sean said he thought she survived. I I do. I it it may be more of I hope she does. Like one of the things, like I said, um, I, like I was going to bring up color theory a little bit more in this one. Um, speaking of Jessica Scott's article, where all of the people who are murdered in it are wearing red before they're killed, and it signifies that they're going to die. Like everything is a it's a precursor to their death. And in the movie, yellow is very much in, in like intended to be the color of safety. It's why Jess is wearing yellow both in both outfits she's seen on screen. Yellow is where downstairs where where they're having the party. And then later on, after she's been sedated, um, like there are red and yellow lights flashing across her face, which signify that like it's still an ambiguous ending, but she has the chance of either living or dying. I'm hoping the cop outside hears him, and more when the phone's ringing. Because he the cops have shown well, so much. Hey, I can hope, can't I? Like until she's confirmed dead, she's alive. All right. Here's here's the thing, though. <laughs> every single time he murders someone, he calls, and so what's the last thing we get in this movie? Is oh yes, yeah. He killed her. And now he's calling. Oh. Well. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're, you're right. Oh. Yeah. See, it just, that hurts my heart a little bit. Just because <laughs> I really love the character of Jess. Oh, I, do I know. Like, so. Her death doesn't make her character any less wonderful. And it's not like, I mean, she was sedated. What was she supposed to do? They sedated her and just left her in this murder house. That's <laughs> what's so frustrating. With no, like, we I, if I remember killer. correctly, one of them even says, you know, like, I'm going to stay here till the parents arrive. And then everyone just sort of exits. And I'm like, dude. Oh, I uh, found the other bodies. I think that was Chris, and then I th- he was the one that ends up helping him bring the dad to the hospital. Useless father figure. Yeah, like, also, 
<laughs> why couldn't they just take it by themselves? Like, why did everyone have to go? I just, I will never understand. Um, I just but yeah, like let's sedate her, leave her here. We haven't found the killer or all the bodies, and let's just post one person outside. Even though the cops that were in the car outside already got their throat slit, but this is good. This will be fine. No, no bad ramifications. <laughs> and I know it's a movie, and I, but like, she's been through so much in this, like. In in this span, the span of this of this movie, that like, I feel for her. Like, she deserves her chance. And then like, all she wants is like to do the thing she wants to do in life. And the fact that like all of this is like ended, like it's just ended over other people's ineptness. And I don't know that that really brings me down. Yeah, you know the useless men. The biggest trope this movie had that carried on is cops are idiots in horror movies. Yep. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on in real life, but in horror movies, they are always like the least helpful people possible. That whole scene where they're like trying to figure out the phone situation. <laughs> like, we're not going to have a cop at the house, you know, to sit with you. Like, no, you stay there answer the calls, we'll just be here and run up and down wildly and try to figure out where it's coming from. <laughs> there was a cop there. Outside. Remember? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, would you really want a cop just sitting in your living room the whole yes. time? I mean, yes, you would, but they don't know at this point that, like, anything is really wrong with Claire. Like, at this point, nobody's missing. Like, Claire is the only one that's missing. Like, Mrs. Mack was supposed to go to her sister's. Barb is sleeping slash dead. Like thirteen year old had been brutally murdered in the park. Yeah, and oh, and I I agree with that. But like, it could also be considered a a random act of violence. And I think they're not taking it they're not taking it unseriously. But they're not they're not considering it as big of a threat as it actually is. So the, I I do want to talk a little bit about that last scene though before. Well, the I, I would guess I I would I would say the climax where um she where Jess goes upstairs goes to Barb's room and then we hear the Agnes it's me Billy and the eye through the slit of the door and he says don't tell what we did Agnes and then we get the chase through the house it's so uh it's very intense and brutal absolutely I mean that hair grab it's ooh. Yeah, he's roaring, he's charging down the stairs, he's grabbing her hair, he's like pounding on the door. And I, what I do like about this is that it gives a reason for her to go into the basement. Because she's just spent most of the time locking all the doors of the house, which, in, which included her having to lock it from the outside <laughs> in some cases. So like all the doors are locked, so there's only one way for her to go, and that is into the basement. Because otherwise it would take too much time to unlock things. So I think that even though it's, it's a trope of someone running downstairs instead of running outside, it makes sense in this in this or uh, upstairs, situation. You know, yeah, depending on the movie, right? I do when they take the time to make it make sense. Oh, and there's also the line where Mrs. Mack is coming in after the second phone call, and she's like, "I I've called the super like a bunch of times to try and get this door fixed," which I think is also a nice little foreshadow to the beginning of it. <laughs> Some stalking some brig breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. <laughs> Good old Sorry, any, any, that's actually scream one. Thank you. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> hey, I was gonna I say any so opportunity. My head feels like it's full of I don't even know what. <laughs> any opportunity I can to bring up Scream, but yeah, I mean, well, how so, are people gonna know we're queer if we don't bring up Scream? <laughs> it's our series. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Um, one thing I did forget to mention as well. That boozy reef that Barb has on her door is so cool, and I want I one. Love it. <laughs> it is so cute. Uh, what else were you going to say about the climax? I think I cut you off, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> oh, I just think it's really exciting and really well done. It's like it it's, is. It just it's so intense and it's so vicious and and violent. Just the way it way things escalate because this entire movie is very quiet. Even like the violent mm-hmm. scenes. Are, are kind of undercut like even even barb getting stabbed by the the unicorn it, it smartly cuts between that and the carolers so it's constantly lessening those violent moments even though there's like peaks of it and then this is just like boom we're just rushing to this finale and it i don't know it's like a, a jump of adrenaline i would say at this very last bit of the of the film and it's so i don't know it's i always find it so intense i mean it's intense <laughs> Well, I mean, and you're absolutely right. And that's the thing is like, in some ways, like a little bit of this kind of feels dreamlike, especially the stuff with like Barb and, you know, like it's very quiet and calculated, which is how this movie feels about stuff. And then the for the ending, like, this is when it feels like all the threats, all of everything that he said to her, it all culminates on one moment. And, and this is one of the reasons why I'm like, I'm so sad that she's dead because like she puts up a good fight. Like it's, it's very, it's like a very quick one. Like it's not like a very long winded scene, but like she very much like she hits him with the door, runs down the stairs, you know, he grabs her hair. Like she manages to pull away and lo- smartly locks herself in the basement. With it, it's, <laughs> Yeah. So like she does everything right basically <laughs> except for the not leaving the house but i mean like and you know murdering I, her boyfriend <laughs> well I mean, but he had it coming yeah he did and i he mean at this point self to blame she's <laughs> she's terrified at this point like she's also terrified like she's even if she peter wasn't was the wasn't the killer which he's not but i mean if he even if he was like even if he was trying to just trick her, like she's like, she's clearly entered survival mode. Like she's flipping out and I don't blame her, her face. When he gets in there, she looks just like deer in the headlights. It is a, such a cool, just like acting choice. I mean, she looks like she's not even there. Like she is just in full on, like, I don't trust anybody. I just need to survive. It's not, uh, I mean, obviously I watched a lot of horror movies, it's not a look you see very often of someone just being completely like checked out. Yeah. And I really appreciate it that she got to that moment in herself, or at least that they were able to get that conveyed on screen. Well, and that's, that's one thing we've talked about how much we love Margot Kidder, but I really do. I think Olivia Hussey does such an amazing job in this movie. Like she is, intelligent like she's you know she's caring she's one of the ones who's looking around who goes looking for claire like she checks on her before claire goes to bed before she's even you know 
kind of choked up. <laughs> um, and then, oh my god, Sean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but we like she's she is just a good character for move for any kind of movie. Like she is a strong she's person. Agency. Yeah, and her agency it makes her even more powerful. And then, like, so this fight at the end, like, she's fighting for her life. And you can clearly see it. And Olivia Hussey just plays us. A... <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just mentioned Chicago earlier. So, like, she's fighting for her life. And my unborn child. <laughs> sorry. I will. I will cut that out myself. I will no, cut myself out. No, no any, you can leave it chance, in. Any chance to quote Chicago. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but I was just saying, like, she's, like, she puts up such a good fight. And I, I think Olivia Hussey really does, like, it's just so well played. Because it's very much understated. Like, she's not, like, a take tar take charge, like, go leader person it seems like but she is when when the chips are down you know like not quite quiet but she is less loud than barb and you know not quite the motherly figure that phil is or you know not quite a uh comedic drunk as mrs mac but like she has and, a quiet she, strength to her yeah like she's playing the straight man and somehow doesn't come across as boring and i think that's so hard to do because in so many of these movies you have boring protagonist syndrome and she never falls flat yeah so do you guys have any final thoughts on this that you want to get out of your system or forever hold your peace before we give our final scores and you know finishing touches is good (laughs) is good (laughs) (laughs) is real good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh is good what would you rate this me yeah out of the five uh, stars this is a uh, is a five star movie for me i i think this movie is perfect i think it establishes a bunch of tropes that we would we would see i think that it is an influential in the horror genre uh i just i think the performances are great i think that the pacing is fantastic i i just uh, there's nothing I would change in this movie. I think it is a perfect proto slasher, and I love it so so much. I would also give it a five, and what Terry said. <laughs> uh, I absolutely agree. It is a five star film. Um, I, I just for a movie from 1974 to just feel as you know as prevalent in its issues and its. And everything is trying to say now, as even as when it came out, like that's that's incredible. Like that's the mark of a good director that everything that's going on in it is still, you know, still prevalent, and it's still very much like big ticket issues. In like, it's also really sad that this long later we're still having those same issues, but that is another conversation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like the fact that we the year after Roe v. Wade goes through, like now Roe v. Wade is gone. And yep. like it makes like the movies like this even more important where it shows that like a woman deserves agency over her own body. And 
should have it. Like the fact that this, it like, and it never chastises or it never, it, the film never feels like it chastises or, you know, demonizes Jess for wanting to make this decision. And that's so important because some movies would, it, it just makes this such an amazing film just in general. I will say that storyline hit so much harder watching it this Christmas than last Christmas. Yeah. Ugh, so upsetting. But yeah, so wow, I think this is the first one all of us have given the same score, I think. Yeah, it is the first one. <laughs> but I I don't think you can literally rate this anything but a five, really. I was really surprised because like, again, I it's one of those movies that I've seen so many times. I just but I kind of like forget what my feelings are on things, and I've only been used Letterbox for more than a couple years, and I really didn't know what I was going to end up rating it. And then I was like, oh yeah, I watched. So I was like, that's a five star movie. Sean, what was this made for? What did it make? Uh, so its original budget was $620,000, and it made $4.1 million Respectable. Respectable. That's also very sad. I wish this movie had gotten a bigger release, more people saw it. I know all the $4.1 million in the 70s might have been... That was a lot. I, think I mean, considering it's made for $620,000, more than quadruple this budget. Yeah, but I still wish it had been like a bigger slam dunk, and because I always feel like this movie is just kind of underrated. Not as many people have seen it as should have seen it. I yeah, think. it didn't have the best release in the United States. Uh, they had initially changed the title to Silent Night, Evil Night because they were afraid that people would think it was a black exploitation movie. And so when it screened, it was like in I want to say less than twenty theaters in. LA and it generated decent ticket sales but then when they extend expanded it uh it was like getting an average of $700 per theater per day and so they withdrew it from circulation uh that's so sad i hate it when that happens so i don't think i don't think a lot of people in the united states saw it except people that uh would be influenced by it like john carpenter <laughs> yeah on the bright side when stuff like that happens now it is really sad, but it's not like this is going to vanish into obscurity. You know, we've got stuff will come into streaming. If you hear about something, you can still find it and get a hold of it. It's not like, oh, you missed it in theaters. It's gone forever. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, so that is what's nice about now versus then if something has a really shitty release strategy or just isn't doing well. Because I would be really sad if I had just never gotten a chance to see this and watch it every year. Same. Uh, also, so, just to let you know, the I did an inflation calculator. So $620,000 would be about $3 million today. $3,747,000. And then the their gross, $4.1 would be about $24 million. Yeah, pretty respectable. So, so I mean, it more than tripled its budget it's just still not a ton of people got to see it that's what i think is sad I mean, well i think its numbers are really starting to go up and it it's very much been reappraised into uh, you know it, into a horror classic and i think its reputation is still building and it's still going to build especially with like 
you know, people but talking about it more now. As we've established, this is superior to Halloween. Which 100%. movie do you think? Which movie do you think more people have seen? Oh, Halloween! Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. But as it becomes more readily available, like where we where we have like Shutter and you know more places where it's streaming, <laughs> because people other than horror fans have Shutter. <laughs> well, but I mean, you can find it on Shutter for a while. There, it was on HBO Max. Like it, it, it there are places to find it. Like it, it's not as hard to find as it used to be. And I think that's really it's got Blu-ray and 4K releases. It's it's out there. Yeah. So I mean, and (laughs) I'm really curious what you're gonna get on this. Um, what do you think this is on Letterboxd? You and Terry, I already know. Terry, if you know already, tell. But otherwise, whoever wants to go first, I'm guessing this movie's Letterboxd score. Um, so i i really think this is a perfect movie and i think i'm gonna go off your film theory of 3.9 where all the best movies in the world have a 3.9 okay and i really think this one is one of those that's gonna have that it may be a four like i feel like or eh, 3.8 3.9 or 3.4 something like that pick Uh, one uh, 3.9 okay you had to pick the scary Oof, I had to guess. Um, yeah, somewhere, gosh, somewhere between three point five and four. And four. Uh, yeah, th- me. Eh. Uh, let, let's do three point nine. I'll be generous. It is a three point nine. Oh. Woo! I. So it is a perfect movie. That all uh, the best. Work. I cracked up when I finished it and went to log it, and I was like, "It is a three point nine." The theory holds true. Terry, yes. where can people find you on social media? And do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, so you can find me um, on, gosh, Twitter, yeah, what, if it's media. there. <laughs> I'm sitting here just like with this Cheshire grin on my face like, what social media is Terry going to put on? Uh, I'm, I am on Twitter. Um, Until the I bitter keep... end. I I don't know. I keep going back and forth. Um, I'm on Hive. Uh, I'm on Instagram. All the same at Gaily Dreadful. My uh, podcast that I co-host with Mary Beth McAndrews called Scarred for Life is at Scarred Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, I guess plugging stuff that comes up. Well, uh, I think depending on when this episode drops, you'll... uh, We'll have an episode with Bobby Torres of Bobby Likes It Spooky on YouTube talking about it. And then next week, uh, I don't think even have announced this anywhere, but next week we're talking with Noah Segan, um, the director, writer of um, Blood Relatives, but he's also in every single, is it Ryan? Ryan Johnson? I don't know how to Ryan pronounce jo- first name. I think it's Ryan. Ryan. I think one of Ryan Johnson's movies, including uh, Glass Onion, uh, Noah Segan. We were talking with him. <laughs> Nice. I we're talking with Josh Rubin in oh, a couple him. weeks. Yeah, I know. Uh, I did with him. I was just like, I love him. He's, so funny. he's a delight. He's yeah. he'll be a he'll be a good guest. He's great. Uh, what do you want to tell people what your podcast is about? Sure, we talk with people in the horror industry about the movie that terrified them as a kid, and so we sort of do a little bit brief interview talking about 
their history and relationship with horror and also their creative stuff. And then we spend most of the episode finding out what makes them scared and what terrified them growing up. Nice. Oh, so it's so it's podcast and therapy. That's nice. Yeah. Some, some episodes, man. I'll tell you, some episodes. My two podcasting and therapy. We work some shit out sometimes. Oh, cool. Uh, if you want to find us on socials, we are on Twitter, probably till the bitter end. Our podcast Twitter is at triple M pod with three M's. You can find me. Just happy to see you. Number two, letter C, letter U. You can find Sean at Smurf013, S-M-U-R-P-H-013. You can find us both on Letterbox at Just Happy to See You, number two, letter C, letter U. And Sean is at uh, Murph the Smurf, M-U-R-P-H-T-H-E-S-M-U-R-P-H. We also are the hottest thing on Instagram at triple M pod with three M's. We have a Facebook page for those of you who like Facebook, men who like men who like movies. And if you want to get in touch with us via email, our email is men who like men who like movies pod at gmail.com. And those are the places you can find us. Yeah. Thank you so much, Terry, for coming on and talking with us on this one. I was yeah. so I was so excited that we we're going to get somebody who knows horror <laughs> better than we do. <laughs> um, and I like, it's just been so awesome hearing your point of view and I feel slightly less sad for Peter. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you did a good job. Oh, and, I can't believe you felt bad for him in the first place. <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. Death to Peter. Well, I mean, it did come to Peter, so. <laughs> but you, you, it's been an awesome talk. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Thanks for yeah. having me. This is great. And uh, Sean, we're forgetting a couple tiny little things. We will go into what we are watching next week, which this was your pick, Clayton. What are we watching? Oh, Anna and the Apocalypse, only one of the greatest Christmas horror movies ever. I mean, where else can you find a Scottish zombie musical extravaganza that is absolutely charming and just wonderful? I love it. I can't wait to talk about it. I can't wait to get to watch it again. Yes, it's a good one. It definitely does prove there's no such thing as a Hollywood ending. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't <laughs> uh, resist. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be stuck um, in my head all day now. Thank you. Yeah, you're, you're, you're welcome. welcome. <laughs> to listen to uh, the soundtrack immediately. <laughs> um, please don't forget to give us a five-star rate and even a review if you have the time. It helps people find us so much. Again, Terry, thank you for coming on. You are wonderful. I cannot wait to talk to you again sometime. And Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, and until next time, we will see you next week. Bye, -bye. Bye everybody. Thanks again, Terry. Thank you, guys. Bye.